This is Decode DC. I'm Andrea Seabrook. It was one year ago that a major industry took a major beating. You're not supposed to have a situation where the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and Hollywood and the recording industry put $100 million into lobbying on this, and then you lose in this way. With a one-day blackout, the internet flexed its political muscles. But did the film and recording industry really back down? This is the industry that tried to kill the VCR when it came out. They tried to kill the MP3 player. These are things they just loathe to their bones. The battle over strict new copyright rules spurred millions to call their representatives. And they won against a giant politically connected industry. But... I can tell you they're still trying to get many of the same provisions on copyright and fair use. They're certainly not giving up. And though Congress got its first taste of the strength and zeal of internet freedom fighters, that doesn't mean they understand it. Washington refuses to learn. Today we're going to talk about the boycott of a piece of legislation that Congress was considering more than a year ago, the Stop Internet Piracy Act, known by its acronym SOPA. If this sounds obscure and arcane, that's because it was, in the beginning. SOPA started its life as a quiet bill before a congressional committee, the kind of legislation that doesn't get much mainstream press. This is the story of how SOPA led to the first large-scale, powerful, enormously successful political action entirely on the internet. And what happens next. Now, as we were working on this story, we got word of a terrible tragedy. One of the most important players in the SOPA boycott and one of the most genius and generous minds in internet freedom committed suicide. His name was Aaron Schwartz. In tribute, we'll start our story with Aaron. In May of 2012, he gave a speech at the Freedom to Connect conference in Washington, D.C. The title of his keynote, How We Stopped SOPA. So for me, it all started with a phone call. It was September, and I got a phone call from my friend Peter. Aaron, he said, there's an amazing bill that you have to take a look at. What is it, I said. It's called COICA, the Combating Online Infringement and Counterfeiting Act. Oh, Peter, I said, I don't care about copyright law. Maybe you're right, maybe Hollywood is right, but either way, what's the big deal? I'm not going to waste my life fighting over a little issue like copyright. I could hear Peter grumbling in the background. Look, I don't have time to argue with you, he said, but it doesn't matter for right now because this isn't a bill about copyright. It's not? No, he said. It's a bill about the freedom to connect. Now I was listening. Here's what Aaron learned. The Stop Online Piracy Act was a proposed expansion of legal and law enforcement powers to fight the trafficking, copying, and sale of copyrighted intellectual property. Movies, TV shows, songs, books, pictures, albums, and more. Anytime a copy is made and then used for profit by someone who doesn't own or have rights to the original work. The recording and film industries estimate they lose billions of dollars in would-be profits every year because it's so easy to download songs and movies online for free. 
Now, before you get the impression that this is a standard case of big corporation tries to squash the little guy, let me introduce you to David Cohen. He works on copyright issues for the AFL-CIO, a group of labor unions. Cohen says, yes, he does work on behalf of a few people you've probably heard of. You know, Tom Hanks with his Screen Actors Guild after card or uh, Susan Sarandon or the bold face names. And then there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people whom your listeners will never have heard of who work on movie sets and television sets and in sound recording studios as producers and editors and writers and electricians. and These are the people, Cohen says, who really make movies. You look at the list of people, sometimes if you get a chance, who worked on Titanic. And yes, you have a cast with hundreds of people, but then you had more than a thousand craft professionals backing them up. The list goes on for pages and pages and pages. These are, by and large, middle-class people, not wealthy film tycoons. And they feel the sting of stolen intellectual property too, says Cohen, because the union pension funds and health care plans are funded, in large part, by profits and residuals from the films these workers make. So when a pirate website sells illegal copies of Titanic or makes money on ads on a pirated stream of Titanic... None of that goes to the funds for pensions and health and welfare. None of it goes for future compensation. And none of their take on a foreign rogue website goes back to the producers to fund the next project. So you have fewer jobs for people working in the industry. You have lower income for people working in the industry. And you have a hit to their benefits. It's interesting that David Cohen brought up Titanic because that's the metaphor people kept using to describe the film industry's business model. Here's how it works. Producers pour hundreds of millions of dollars into a movie up front and then make a lot of that money back selling copies later. Same with record companies. They pay for expensive recording sessions and mixing and then sell copies. More than anything, it is this simple system from which the entire copyright problem explodes. If you're going to sell copies of something, you have to control the copying of it. This was no problem for most of the 20th century. But near the end, in the 70s, the electronics company Sony came out with a consumer recording and copying device, the Betamax VCR. It was the beginning of the end of the industry's control over copies. In the first of what would become many attempts at beating back technology, Universal Studios sued Sony, saying the VCR made it so easy for people to make illegal copies of TV and movies that Sony should be held responsible for the piracy. The Betamax case went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Ryan Single, a longtime tech journalist for Wired, says the film company made its case. They argued at the Supreme Court that this was going to destroy their business model and that you know, if they could record things off the television, no one was ever going to buy movies again, or if you could copy movies on your VCR, no one was ever going to buy things. It's hard to imagine here, now, in the 21st century, but Sony almost lost. 
The Supreme Court's final decision split the justices five to four. If one of them had voted differently, VCRs might never have taken off and fostered a whole new relationship between Americans and their media. But the movie and record industries kept fighting, says Ryan Single. Betamax was just the beginning. Every time a new technology comes up, they argue that, you know, this is the death of the industry. They tried to get the VCR, you know, they tried to kill the MP3 player. They crippled other technologies. So they're, you know, absolutely scared of, you know, consumers or individuals having the right to record things and share them, make backup copies. Uh, these are things they just load to their bones. The industry has never regained the ability to control copies. They did come to terms with the VCR eventually, and made boatloads of money selling and renting videotapes. But another technology was spreading that would mangle their business model again, a pesky little thing called the internet. The problem the music, film, and other industries have with the internet is that it's so easy to make and share copies. In a way, the internet itself is copies, bazillions of perfect copies of text, bits of music, and video game code. Every single time you see a web page on your computer, you're making a copy of it. The 21st century is made of copies, and that is extraordinarily powerful says Congressman Jared Polis, a Democrat from Colorado. Technology uh, and distribution technologies for information, namely the Internet, is a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing, a great achievement of, of mankind. And we can't let legacy business models try to shut down progress simply because it's not convenient for them. Legacy business models. That's a euphemism for the old-fashioned industry struggling to make money in a new century. Jared Polis knows a lot about this. He's not just a member of Congress who works on copyright issues. He himself is a dot-com millionaire, having built and sold several different online companies for hundreds of millions of dollars. And he's not even 40. David Cohen, the guy trying to protect middle-class workers from piracy, chafes at Polis's suggestion that the industry should move on from its legacy business model. The question of possible other models, uh, that's very nice in theory. But I want to observe that the people who keep saying this are the people who are making money from breaking the system. modern version of the Betamax problem, pirate websites host illegal copies of movies, music, and video games in a way that anyone can go download a copy. When these first sprang up, remember Napster or Kazaa? Big companies went through the American legal system to shut them down. But then new sites popped up with servers overseas, often in countries that are out of reach to U.S. copyright law. Sites like Pirate Bay and Torrent Hound. So while the industry organized legal challenges within the countries where that was plausible, it had a huge problem in the United States. It figured if it couldn't stop those foreign sites here, then the next best thing would be to block access to those sites through American networks. Enter the Stop Online Piracy Act. SOPA was born. Ryan Single explains the industry's thinking. Why don't we just tell all of those American companies 
uh, that, you know, we'll give them a blacklist of sites that Americans just can't go to because they're full of copyright infringement. If you're a non-technical person, it sounds like a, you know, a great solution, right? You, know, you can just stop people from getting to the sites that are full of piracy content. Uh, the problem is on a technical level, you're actually breaking the internet. There are several ways SOPA would, in Ryan's words, break the internet. First, it would require search engines and internet service providers to make technical changes to their servers, blocking access to some sites while allowing access to others. That could force companies to police the content running on their servers, and that's completely counter to how the internet operates. It's a little like forcing the phone company to block calls to people who sell stolen car stereos. The second way it would break the internet is by undermining its culture, that thriving, verdant ecosystem of iterative creation and endlessly evolving memes. Case in point. Beyonce Knowles' track, Single Ladies, is one of the best-selling singles in music history. But it's the video that went viral online. It consists of one continuous dance routine performed by Beyonce herself, flanked by two women doing almost the same routine. It's very simple, but it sparked thousands and thousands of remakes. A high school football team bridesmaids at a wedding reception, a five-year-old in her living room. Pretty much all of the thousands of crazy single ladies videos contain illegal uses of Beyonce's song. She and a record company could probably have them blocked or deleted from YouTube altogether. But they're not dumb. They know that we have become a culture that doesn't just consume media, we play with it. We mix it up, mash it together, make our own version and share it with the world. Whether or not the film and record companies like it, this is who we are. And then, you know, the tech people were like, you don't get it. You're going to break the, you know, the, the best communication system in the world uh, just to keep people from, you know, downloading a copy of The Lion King. In late 2011, word was spreading online that SOPA was coming to a key vote in a House committee. Big organized industry groups had pushed for new, stronger copyright provisions and sharper enforcement options, even jail time for those who violated them. SOPA was written in consultation with the Motion Picture Association of America and the Recording Industry Association of America, both big lobbies, both big donors to congressional committees. SOPA seemed as if it would sail through. But the internet caught on and began to fight SOPA in its own crazy internet way. A long, long time ago, on the world's largest network of interconnected computers, those lolcats used to make me laugh. Banners and videos and cartoons blasted the big media companies. Vloggers railed on Congress and the bill. It's about censoring the internet. This gives... But the scariest thing is this bill is actually bipartisan. There's, there... Now don't disappoint me. You've got to do your part. Be Songs lamented the loss of kitty videos and lolcats. And every login was refused the day the lolcats died. On January 18, 2012, 
dozens of the internet's biggest and most influential sites went black. Wikipedia, Reddit, MoveOn.org, Minecraft, I Can Has Cheeseburger. Others displayed black banners and bars. Google, Wired, WordPress, TwitPic, all saying, stop SOPA, call Congress. And people did. Can you write a decent law? Do you care about copyright at all? Or just went in back your seat? It was the biggest internet political revolt the world has ever seen. Brian Single. And it scared the hell out of Congress. Support in the House and Senate was still very strong on January 18th and flipped on January 19th. This is Yochai Benkler, a professor at Harvard Law and the head of Harvard's Center for Internet and Society. In the one day that Wikipedia shut down and the Senate and House got flooded with three million calls based on people who saw that Wikipedia was gone and told them we're going to be censored, that was the transition point. And in many senses, that's where the House and Senate members got shell-shocked. They'd never seen anything like the Obama administration had announced its opposition to the bill a few days before the blackout. Now members of Congress who'd never heard of SOPA were going to their leaders and saying, what is this? Don't make me vote on it. By the end of the day on January 18th, House Republican leaders announced they would indefinitely postpone the issue. And Senate Democratic leaders said it would never come to the floor. That was it. SOPA was dead. So speak up before the internet dies. Yohai Benkler met with various senators and staff immediately afterwards. And it felt, as you sat in the room, as though they were shell-shocked. You're not supposed to have a situation where the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and Hollywood and the recording industry put $100 million over a year and a half into lobbying on this, where you start out with broad bipartisan support close within a couple of votes of breaking filibuster. And then you lose in this way. They'd never seen it. The blackout did more than just block SOPA. It legitimized internet culture in a way, especially in Washington, D.C., where it had often been seen as sort of a wacky sidebar to real culture. Washington also learned that this issue, copyright protection versus the freedom of speech online, has two sides that the internet can mobilize politically when it wants to. But Yochai Benkler said conventional Washington also took away another lesson from the blackout, one that speaks more to its decades of backroom lobbying and political horse trading. It's this. Don't wake up Google. Washington refuses to learn. It's the basic storyline that gets propagated in the day after is Google and Facebook have come to town. They bought their own lobbyists. They've grown up. Rather than that the internet community had learned how to self-mobilize. Uh, now, it is true that Google was behind the campaign to stop SOPA and supported it and, and wanted to support. It is not true that that was a significant and important part of the story. As we looked both at the data of who was visible and when, who ran successful campaigns and who did not, that's not Google-funded uh, AstroTurf. That's grassroots. And until Washington understands that, uh, they'll be looking to make deals with the wrong people. 
Some supporters of stronger copyright law believe that as long as they keep Google happy, they can go about Washington's business as usual. And they are trying, says Congressman Jared Polis. I can tell you they're still trying through the Trans-Pacific Partnership on Trade to get many of the same provisions to lock them in on uh, copyright and and fair use. Um, So those efforts are continuing, and that's kind of a more behind-the-scenes way to try to get that through. So uh, they're certainly not giving up. The negotiations of this trade deal, known as TPP, are so behind the scenes, even members of Congress are being kept out. Jared Polis and Republican Daryl Issa have demanded that the trade office let them see the copyright proposals under consideration. And the trade office did let them see them privately in a closed room without their staff and without allowing them to take notes. How's that for a democratic process? There is something else important that the SOPA fight helped change, something that could fundamentally change the way our country and our culture unfold over time. It's the identity of a generation. blackout, you might have thought of young, internet-savvy kids as being apathetic, self-absorbed, unmotivated. But that day, they proved that narrative utterly wrong. From the blackout forward, there was, is, and will be a group of creative, brilliant, unconventional thinkers who cut their teeth on SOPA. And that spirit of, I don't have to accept what comes off the screen is done and just curse at it. I can build my alternative, really struck me as animating the movement, animating the spirit of experimentalism, of mobilization, of actually trying to do something. There's an enormous sense of capacity and sense that it's okay to experiment and fail and experiment again and fail and eventually we'll come up with something that will move this beast. Very powerful. The person who described this best was Aaron Schwartz, one of the brightest lights of his generation. He was instrumental in the SOPA fight, from the very first murmurs of a problem to the broad show of force of the blackout. He understood the power this movement had gathered. We won this fight because everyone made themselves the hero of their own story. Everyone took it as their job to save this crucial freedom. They threw themselves into it. They did whatever they could think of to do. They didn't stop to ask anyone for permission. The senators were right. The internet really is out of control. But if we forget that, if we let Hollywood rewrite the story so it was just big company Google who stopped the bill, if we let them persuade us we didn't actually make a difference, if we start seeing it as someone else's responsibility to do this work, and it's our job just to go home and pop some popcorn and curl up on the couch to watch Transformers. Well then, next time, they might just win. Let's not let that happen.
Decode DC 